0: We're starting a new series tonight. We're starting a series in 1 Peter. So if you wanted to open up your Bibles, if you wanted to find them, uh, find the passage, it is 1 Peter. We're starting right at the beginning. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1217. So page 1217. And we're looking at 1 Peter and it's verses 1 to 6. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you are great, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, um, but I now just want to welcome James up to the front. He's going to come and open up that passage that Rui read for us. So, <clears throat> hope you come, James. We'll pray for you. Hmm? <laughs> Let's pray for James. We thank you, Lord, for James. Thank you that he loves you, that he knows you, um, and that he has a passion for sharing your word and sharing the truth of your gospel. Um, with his brothers and sisters. We just ask that you would be with him tonight as he speaks and you would open our ears to hear your voice through him, Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, Well, good evening. Um, Can everyone hear me? Great. Good stuff. Okay, so tonight we are starting a new series in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We're leaving behind 1 Samuel for the time being um, but don't fret, we will be coming back to it. There's much more that God has to teach us through the, that book. However, over the next few weeks, um, we'll be journeying through the book of 1 Peter. And if your Bible's open at 1 Peter, then please do keep it open there. Um, what we're going to do this evening is go through a bit of an overview of the book, so we've kind of got our heads in the right uh, space to kind of journey through this book together. Um, kind of verses 1 and 2, and the second half, we'll kind of look at verses 3 to 6. So let's uh, dive right in. So who is Peter, and what what is he doing writing this letter? Well, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and he spent three years learning from uh, Jesus, traveling around with him while Jesus was doing his ministry. And his time as a disciple had its ups and downs. Um, Before uh, Jesus was crucified, he denied knowing Jesus uh, three times. But on a more positive note, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that's what happens. We read in the book of Acts that Peter is one of the key leaders of the early church after Jesus' ascension to heaven. And it's thought that Peter was writing this letter around kind of AD 64. So let's put that in a short timeline. Jesus began his ministry around AD 30, and was crucified three years later, so around uh, 33 AD. Um, So Peter's writing this 30 years after Jesus died, rose, and ascended. And in this time, the disciples had the mission that was set out in the end of Matthew, uh, when Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we read in the book of Acts, this is exactly what the disciples had been doing. We read that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we know that Peter's writing the letter, but who is he writing it to? Well, he tells us right there in verse 1. Look down with me. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So here we read who the people are and where they are. Um, And unlike Paul, who wrote... Uh, Philippians, who we, we looked at um, in the autumn awesome term. Um, unlike Paul, uh, who writes specific to specific congrega- congregations, uh, like the Philippians or the church in Corinth, Peter, along with Jude and John, are writing uh, a letter that's meant to be circulated uh, over a large area. And Peter mentions in the opening letter um, the places uh, make up a place called uh was known as Asia Minor. Nowadays, we know it as Turkey. And the people he is writing to are both Jews and Gentiles, spread across a wide area. We see in verse 1 again that these people are God's elect, God's chosen people before the beginning of time. But he also says they're exiles, strangers, aliens in the world. They're rejected by their world for their faith in Jesus Christ. So these Christians are part of a rapidly growing early church. And we said that Peter was writing this around AD 64, and this is thought to be true because this is when the persecution of the Christians um, by Emperor Nero really began to take a hold. Because of the theme of the letter um, of hope, of heavenly inheritance in the face of suffering, it makes sense that Peter would be writing to encourage these new Christians. But how is he going to do that? Well, Peter's lived for three years in close proximity to Jesus and witnessed the best example of living a holy life in the face of hostility. And therefore, Peter wants to point his reader, them and us, in the best direction towards Jesus himself. Peter wanted these Christians across this massive area to be rooted, rooting their perseverance in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The hope that we read will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's what Peter wants these believers to cling to in the trials he knows are coming. And as we look at the book as a whole, uh, one verse stands out to sum up the main theme. And it's in chapter 4, verse 16. Turn there if you want to. It says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We see that Peter explains that suffering isn't something to be put up with, but something that is to be expected. And Peter explores that throughout this book. And that's what we'll be looking at too as we continue through this letter together. Peter writes that suffering proves our salvation. He says we're a holy people, which is an amazing statement. And just to refresh your memory, um, our verse of the year here at Oakle Church is uh, chapter 2, verse 9 of the book of 1 Peter. And it reads this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because we are a holy people, Peter says, therefore pursue excellent behavior, so that even those who oppress you will glorify God. And Peter continues through chapter 3. He explains how Christ suffered for us, And therefore, he says at the beginning of chapter 4, do not live the rest of your earthly lives for evil human desires, but live for the will of God. And Peter concludes the letter explaining that suffering tests us. It's a way in which we identify with Jesus Christ. And it never gives us an excuse to sin. The suffering Christian should still do what's right. So Peter says we should stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings, and that's still true today. Peter doesn't shy away from the issues he knows that are affecting or will affect the future of the early church. We go back to that theme verse in chapter 4, verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And Peter is certifiably an expert on this. He's experienced both sides of the coin. Denying Jesus and being ashamed of his name, And yet he knew that he would be martyred for the name of Jesus. He was also there with James and John when Jesus was transfigured in in Mark 9. So he'd seen a glimpse of the glory to come. He was certain of the glory to come. The inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. The hope we have in the inheritance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is worth suffering for. And this is what Peter wants to get across to his readers. The celebrated poet William Blake is buried in London's famous Bunhill Cemetery. Close by are the graves of uh, other writers and poets like uh, John Bunyan and John Owen. And a friend who was present with Blake on the day of his death wrote, he died in the most glorious manner. He said that he was going to a country he had all his life wished to see and expressed himself happy, hoping for salvation, through Jesus Christ. Just before he died, his expression changed. His eyes brightened. He burst out singing of the things he was going to see in heaven. What an exalted exit from life's stage! Imagine bursting forth in joyful song as the fullness of salvation approaches. For William Blake, sorry, for William Blake, the living hope described in Peter's opening verses as imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's never going to. Spoil or perish on that day it became his own enduring and unending inheritance yet in the life of William Blake he experienced difficulty as well he was acquainted with more than his, the joyful prospect of an eternal inheritance he had firsthand knowledge that the road to heaven is marked by earthly sorrow and he wrote this beautiful words joy and woe are woven fine a clothing for the soul divine under every grief and pine runs a joy with silken twine. It is right it should be so. Man was made for joy and woe, and when this we rightly know, through the world we safely go. Joy and woe are woven fine. How true is that? And this is what Peter explains in his letter. Joy and woe are woven fine. And yet somehow suffering still catches us by surprise. That God's elect, his chosen, beloved people should experience trials is really perplexing. In some measure, Peter is writing us to remind us of this very thing. He asks, us, he asks us, he asks his readers to consider salvation's future glory in the light of present day adversity. Well, hopefully that gives us a kind of a summary of the book. And we're just going to look at verses three, and six, three to six now. And he kicks off this letter in spectacular fashion, launching into praise and worship for his God and King. He praises God for his mercy, through which God has given us new birth, which is right, isn't it? We've been reborn. We've come out of darkness into light and life. Through Jesus' resurrection, we have an inheritance that Peter says in verse 4, will never perish, spoil, or fade. And we see this trend throughout scripture, that the way up comes by going down. Restoration comes after trials. We see this later on in the book. Resurrection comes after death. Glory comes after suffering. And this is what Peter explores through the letter. Our eternal share in the glory of Jesus Christ will be awarded to us on the day he returns. But that glorious promised day will only come after this season of suffering. However, this time of suffering is only brief compared to the eternity that we will share in the inheritance to come. It seems crazy, doesn't it, that these two seemingly opposite things are so closely linked, our status in Christ and our suffering on earth, one being so hard and the other being so glorious. But we've seen that salvation's future goal is built upon present trials. And Peter, throughout this book, encourages the Christians with the example of Christ overcoming extraordinary trials. We've seen similar this week, haven't we? If you've been around for any of the evening seminars or even this morning listening to Justin, you'd have heard stories of people who've been through extreme trials. These hardships are part of life's guarantee in this broken world. And Peter explains this in verse 6. In all this, he says, you greatly rejoice. In inheritance and future glory, yes, we rejoice. He goes on, though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He gets straight to it, but encouragingly, he says uh, a few uh, timing phrases, like, though now, for a little while. This is not everlasting suffering. This is not never-ending grief. This is like what we talked about earlier. The restoration comes after trial. The resurrection comes after death. The glory comes after suffering. This is for a short while, a blink in the light of eternity. In that eternity, we will receive that inheritance that has been kept in heaven for us. And that is why Peter rejoices. That's why he encourages his readers to rejoice. This is because the inheritance that we have, if we trust in Jesus, is so much more important than the sufferings we experience in this life. And as we journey through this book of 1 Peter, Peter will unpack more of what it looks like to live this life with the hope for heavenly inheritance in the face of suffering. Our trials and sufferings never get easier. It's always hard to deal with the pain of this life. So when you feel burnt when you feel the brunt of this harsh world kicking you down and we know that this 80, 90 years we have on this earth are so short compared to the eternal life we have in Christ many of these Christians that Peter is writing to would die for their faith Peter included it's unlikely in the western world in 2019 we would die for our faith But we hear stories of our brothers and sisters around the world who are dying for the name of Jesus. And in these trials we experience, we need to focus on the eternity, just as Peter was doing. He also let that mindset impact his life. And Peter shares that with us, and we'll explore that more over the next couple of weeks. But just as Peter wrote to these Christians to encourage them to stand firm in their faith, so too should we be encouraged to stand firm within our own trials. We need to think of the joy that we have in Christ, in our heavenly inheritance. And look at the wider picture of eternity and we see how short our life is here on earth compared to the millions and millions and millions of years in eternity we have with Christ eternity with Jesus is the most important thing we have to look forward to and Peter is going to explore that more as we unpack this book as we read it together we'll learn more about that so be encouraged stand firm in the hope of heavenly inheritance in the face of suffering there's going to be a few questions going to come up on the boards and uh We're going to take uh, the next time to discuss around our tables, read the questions, discuss, and then we're going to pray together at the end.